Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Bishop Sheen Presents here on FM 98.5 CKWR. It has been said that Bishop Sheen touched the lives of millions of people through his countless radio addresses and television programs. It is my prayer that some of these reflections that we will share today will truly touch your heart and show you that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And so may I invite you now to just sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Good Sunday morning to you all, and uh, welcome to this week's program. And uh, we're going to be entertained, of course, by the wit and the wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. He gave a talk many years ago uh, about wasting your life. And I think many of us sometimes feel that way uh, with the lockdown that we've all experienced for quite some time. But uh, again, there is... uh, uh, I want to say a silver lining to this. And uh, so Bishop Sheen's going to talk about wasting our life, and he's going to talk about the woman he loves. So again, uh, we're in for a treat today. So please sit back and enjoy as uh, we uh, go to Sunday school together with the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Our world is really suffering from indifference. Indifference is apathy, not caring. I wonder, maybe, if our Lord does not suffer more from our indifference than he did from the crucifixion. There was a poet of World War I by the name of Studdard Kennedy, who gave us a poem in which he compared our Lord coming to Calvary and coming to the modern city of Birmingham in England. And this is what he wrote. And when Jesus came to Golgotha, they nailed him on a tree. They crowned him with a crown of thorns. Red were his wounds and deep. For those were crude and cruel days, and human flesh was cheap. When Jesus came to Birmingham, they only passed him by. They would not hurt a hair of him. They only let him die. For men had grown more tender. They would not give him pain. They only just passed down the street and left him in the rain. And so it rained. The winter rain that drenched him through and through. And when all the crowds had left the street... Then Jesus crouched against a wall and sighed for Calvary. In other words, he found the cruelty of Calvary more acceptable than our indifference. I'm going to plead with you, therefore, not to be bored in life. The reason we're bored is because we don't love anything. When you girls get older, you're engaged, 
The man that you're engaged to will do anything for you. Why? Because he loves you. There was a Chicago florist that advertised that your husband still send you flowers. And they had to stop. The husband protested. <laughs> well, there was a reason for not sending flowers after they were married. That's very obvious. But when you're in love, you'll do anything. And you'll find that the young man will do anything for you because he loves. And so will you. You'll wear the kind of clothes he wants. If he likes pink, you'll wear pink. And you won't find it a bit boring. But in order to drive home this lesson, I'm going to take stories out of the Bible. And the first story is to induce you to learn to waste yourself, give yourself to others. We go back to King David. He lived a thousand years before Christ. And King David was in a battle against the Philistines, always the enemies of the Jews, the Philistines. And the battlefront took him to his own home village of Bethlehem. Now, when we get older, we sometimes have yearnings for taste and visions and experiences when we were young. And so when David saw the town of Bethlehem, he said to the soldiers, Oh, he said, if I could only taste again the waters from the well at the gate of Bethlehem. And the soldiers said, All right, we will get you the water. We will drive through the lines. And they came back with water. And David held up the vessel of water and poured it out onto the ground. He said, I am not worthy to drink the water that was purchased at such a sacrifice. He wasted it. Wasted it in the sense that if he drank it, he would not now be remembered, and I would not be telling you that story. When we save certain things for ourselves, we spoil them. When we, for example, save our flesh, use it only for our own pleasure, then it becomes lust. We save money. It becomes avarice. We save knowledge. And not use it to train others. It turns into pride. And so David poured out the water as a lesson that sometimes we have to waste the things of life in order to be remembered. Now another story. With the same moral. And here we come to the time of our blessed Lord. He was invited into the house of Simon, the Pharisee. The Pharisees were very self-righteous people. And while he was at dinner with the apostles... A woman comes in the door. Now, you must remember that in those days, it was very easy to come into a banquet room. Anyone could walk into an adjoining house, stand along the wall, you would not eat, but you could listen to the conversation. It was therefore not very unusual 
that a woman should come in to overhear the conversation. But she brought a blush to Simon's cheek. He would not have minded it if anyone else had been there. But the Lord, what would he think of it? The woman was a sinner. And Simon kept saying within himself, if he only knew what kind of a woman she is. I wonder how he knew. <laughs> and the woman comes closely to the feet of our Lord. My young people, you must remember that in those days, people did not sit at table. They leaned at table, as if we leaned here almost on the floor. And you rested your head on your left hand, and then you ate with your right hand from table. That's a custom that sometimes I wish would come back. So the woman comes to the feet of our Lord, and she has some perfume about her neck. In those days, precious perfume was generally carried around the neck. And she stands above the feet of our Lord and lets fall upon those sandaled harbingers of peace a few tears, like the first warm drops of a summer rain. And then she was ashamed that she had wet his feet with tears and she wiped them away with her hair. In those days, all women of shame had the hair down. And so it was easy for her with her long hair down at the side to wipe the feet of our blessed Lord. Then she took from about her neck this small vessel of perfume. It was a custom, too, among the Jews, when they went to a funeral, to break this perfume bottle over the corpse, and then even to drop the broken bottle into the coffin. Now, as she stands above our Lord's feet, she does not do what you and I would do. You and I would pour it out gently, drop by drop, as if to indicate by the slowness of our giving the generosity of our gift. Not those who really love. She just broke the vessel, gave everything. And the house was filled with perfume, says the gospel. So remember, my dear people, this was no smell number five. And Judas was there. Judas knew the price of everything and the value of nothing. And he said, why wasn't this saved and given to the poor? But our blessed Lord spoke in favor of the woman. He said, this woman has done this for my burial. Because this incident took place ten days before our Lord was crucified. And... The gospel writers have kept this story in the, gospel, in the gospel, yes, 
in order that we might again learn to waste, give, break, surrender. As our Lord put it in another occasion, he says, walk the second mile. What did he mean by that, walk the second mile? Well, because very often in those days was mail when mail was delivered. Suppose they did it here. When mail was delivered, the postman would say, I listen, I've got a heavy load today. Here, you take half these letters. And he had the authority to make you walk the extra mile to deliver mail. And that's what our Lord meant. If anyone, if the postman forces you to walk one mile, walk another. And imagine he also said, if anyone takes your coat, give him your cloak too. Unlimited giving. We would put this in the language of being generous. That bell rings very often, doesn't it? I have a dim feeling that I'm warned up here. <laughs> so when anyone asks you to do things, be prepared to do more. Why, for example, do we get tired? Well, we think we are, we are tired because we have a certain limit of energy. Like we have a certain amount of money in the bank. and. As that money is spent, or as that energy is used, then we have no more, we're exhausted. No, that's not it always. Energy is renewed if we love. As sanctity and holiness declines, energy declines. Can you imagine, for example, Mother Teresa ever being tired? Here, this woman who weighs about 90 pounds, who has dragged 25,000 bodies off the streets of Calcutta and converted 15,000 of them, she never seems to be tired because she gets new strength because she's broken the vessel, poured out her life as David poured out the water. I hope, therefore, that I can impress you not to be selfish but always to please neighbor, even when they seemingly demand too much. We might even sometimes do the foolish things. And this is the last story that I will tell you about doing foolish things. And you might learn from this that if your faith is very strong, you can do wonders. The scene I'm to describe was on the Lake of Galilee. Our blessed Lord had just multiplied the loaves and the fishes, and the people were excited about it, and they thought, oh, here's a great political king. He can feed the hungry. And they tried to make him a king. And our blessed Lord fled into the mountains alone. Well, his disciples were caught up in this enthusiasm. They liked it. And our Lord did not want them to be burnt with the idea that his kingdom was political. So he said, get into the boat. Go over to the other side of the lake. Get away from these people. This is not the nature of my kingdom. So here's our Lord on a mountaintop. The apostles rowing past midnight in the lake. 
A storm comes up. They are frightened. Our Lord is praying for them and watching them during the storm. We sometimes think in our trials and difficulties, economic, physical, moral, that the Lord has no concern. That's what they thought, too. But he was watching for the opportune moment. And as the apostles were about to despair, our Lord is seen walking on the water toward them. And they were frightened. They said, it's a ghost. And our Lord said, be not afraid. It is I. Whenever I use that verse, I'm always reminded of a story that was told of Pope Leo XIII. Someone asked to paint his portrait, and it was not very well done. But it was brought to Pope Leo, and he had to sign it. But he signed it in Latin, Noli timere ego sum. Do not fear, it is I. <laughs> Our Lord, therefore, is telling his apostles, now do not fear, it is I. Here we come to a great act of faith. Peter loves our Lord. And I'm telling you that if you love, you will go on doing things, not stop. And Peter loved our Lord. He wanted to be with him. He couldn't wait until he came to the boat. And he said, bid me come on the waters to you. Imagine that. Peter loved our Lord so much that he thought, well, I can walk on water. Now, can you imagine what must have happened in that boat at the moment that Peter lifts his foot about to step into the water? What do you think happened? His brother Andrew must have said, Peter, listen, you're always an idiot. Thomas must have said, what are you trying to do, join a circus? Judas said, how much money are you getting for this? And on and on they ridiculed, get back, you idiot, get back. But he walked. He walked on the waters. And why did he walk? Was it foolish? No, our Lord had said, come. Come. Believe the impossible and you can do the incredible. Or believe the incredible and you can do the impossible. Believe the things that are almost impossible. And if you've got faith, they will come true. Our Lord has said, come, and Peter walked on the water. But then he began to sink. Why did he sink? Because Peter knew how to swim. Someday when you learn the gospel better, I will ask you the question, how do you know Peter could swim? As I might ask you the question, who could run faster in a race, Peter or John? Did you know that's in the gospel? When you get it back to school and you're studying scripture, I hope, I hope, I hope, in your catechism, find out who can run faster, Peter or John. I'm not going to tell you, but the answer is in the Bible. 
And so here, our Lord has said to Peter, come and he walked, but now he sinks. Peter could swim because we know that on the Sunday after Easter, Peter swam 400 yards. That's in the gospel too. Why did he sink if he could swim? The gospel tells us the reason. He took his eyes off the Lord. He began to take account of the winds. He said, oh, nature's against me. Or in our language today, in our sociological world, Peter began to take account of sociological surveys. And he sank. He took his eyes off the Lord. And so the Lord then took hold of his hand and said, Oh, man of little faith, why don't you believe? And then Peter was taken into the boat and our Lord took them to shore. So if you have faith, the impossible things can be done. I'll tell you a story about football that was told me by Coach Paterno of Penn State. Those of you who don't like football, close your ears, and God have mercy on you. <laughs> coach Paterno is the coach of Penn State, and a few years ago, his team was playing the University of Kansas. Now, Coach Paterno has an old mother, an Italian mother full of faith, knows absolutely nothing about football. But she has two sons who coach football. One coaching at Penn State and the other coaching the Merchant Marine in Connecticut. The score of the football game, 50 seconds before the end of the game, was Kansas 14, Penn State 7. The other son who coached in Connecticut was with the mother, and he said to his mother, Mom, it's all finished. Joe is lost. And she said, No. I'll go in the bathroom and pray. I don't know why she went into the bathroom to pray, but at any rate, that's the story. She went into the bathroom. She said, I'll go in the bathroom and pray. Now, this, now picture this good, good old lady going into the bathroom to pray to the good Lord. What happens now in the remaining seconds? Penn State threw a touchdown, and the score, boys, what was the score now with the touchdown? 14 to what? No. 13, right. 14 to 13. To make it 14, what do they have to do? Pick a field goal. Would there be any other way of making extra points? A forward? Yes, or run through the line. Yes, there will be another way. Well, they decided not to kick the field goal because that would mean a tie, 14 to 14. So they tried a forward to get behind the goal line, and that would count two points and make the score 15 to 14. They tried it, and they missed. But Kansas was offside. 
so they had to try it over again. And the next time they made it, well, her son screamed. And he shouted out, Mom, they won! And she came out and she said, I told you, I told you. <laughs> so you see, you believe, believe the incredible and you can do the impossible. And it would seem as if Coach Joe Paterno's wisdom had won the game, but actually it was the mother. <laughs> now my time is up. Oh, yes. Listen, my good, my good people, it's always better for you to say, I wished he had talked longer than to have you say he had three good chances to quit. I hope now that you'll carry away from this talk two lessons. First of all, I hope the women will become interested in football. That'll help, won't it? <laughs> and secondly, be generous with yourself. Just give, give, give. And as we give, we get. This is the gospel lesson. As we pour out ourselves, God gives us strength. Now, for example, we know... Let me tell you, when I came over here, I was dead tired. I didn't want to talk. I didn't feel like it. So I said to the good Lord, I'm tired now, and I'm going to talk on using strength. Spend yourself. Give me strength. Do I look tired? No. <laughs> Thank you. Now, everybody be generous, generous with self. I know that when I go now that Monsignor is going to talk about being generous in other ways. <laughs> but I mean being generous with yourself, your energy, your kindness to others, your charity, your helpfulness, because then you will be real Christians. This friend of mine that I told you who was in the prison for 14 years. When he got out of prison in Romania, he was walking along the street and found a boy and he said, do you believe in Christ? And the boy said, no. Why don't you? The little boy says, you think Christ is God, don't you? Well now, if Christ is God, if Jesus is God, he can do what God does. God made flowers. Flowers made other flowers. God made elephants. Elephants made other elephants. And nobody's ever given me anything. And if Jesus is God, then he ought to be able to make other Jesuses. But I've never found another Jesus. My father's an alcoholic. My mother takes in Washington to live. Nobody's ever given me a toy or a suit of clothes. Therefore, I don't believe that Jesus is God because he never made any other Jesus. And Dr. Wormbrand said, but isn't your pastor? Well, no, he said he's not. He's not. When this pastor was told, he said, oh, that boy is silly. He wasn't silly. He was right. So, if 
Jesus is God, he ought to be able to make other Jesuses. That's what you are. Other Jesuses. And you ought to so manifest him in your lives that as you move among others, they will say of you as the maidservant said of Peter, Thou hast been with Christ. Thank you, and God love you. Good Sunday morning to you all. You're listening to FM 98.5 CKWR, and I hope you enjoyed that reflection entitled, Wasting Your Life. And uh, now we will continue to uh, be instructed by the Venerable Archbishop Sheen as he talks about the woman he loves. Please enjoy. I'm going to talk to you about Our Blessed Mother under three titles. First as a dream, a dream. Secondly, as mother. And thirdly, as spouse. We never talk about that. As spouse. First, the Blessed Mother as a dream. She was God's dream. It sometimes happens in human love that men love in ideal before they love in fact. Their experiences, readings, become like so many separate pieces of a mosaic and they frame in their own mind the kind of a woman that they would like. And one day that girl appears and the man will say, that's it. She's the one. I knew a man in Switzerland who had hanging in his home a picture of a young girl. And when he moved to America, he took the picture with him. And when he was a boy, he said to his mother, I'm going to marry a girl that looks just exactly like that. And he married one girl in my office who looked just exactly like that picture. He loved in ideal before he loved in fact. So some of you girls will be dream girls sometime. You don't know it, but you will be. And now our blessed Lord, I mean, God has a dream. Namely, the ideal woman. The first immaculate conception was in the mind of God. He thought of her from all eternity. Many of you have seen that famous painting of Whistler. Remember the, the mother that was in the rocking chair? And someone asked Whistler, how did you ever paint such a beautiful painting of your mother? And he said, you know how it is. One tries to make one's mummy just as nice as one can. Well, isn't it reasonable to expect that if we pre-existed our mother, we would have made her the perfect woman? Well, God pre-existed his own mother, and therefore he would try to make her just as perfect as he could. And she, therefore, was a dream and an ideal in God's mind. I think she was even thought of as the new Eve. God made a garden, as God alone knows how to make a garden beautiful. And then he put the first man and woman into it, and they fell and lost the garden. 
And then God thought of another garden, another Eden, a flesh-girt paradise, which would be his mother, to be gardenered by the Adam new. And this new paradise of the incarnation was our blessed mother. I believe really and truly that she is the woman whom every man loves an ideal. I think that subconsciously she is the kind of woman that every woman wants to be. The dream of the whole human race. But she was not only a dream, she became now the mother of God the Son when he became incarnate. God sent an angel out from the great white throne of light and the angel came to Mary kneeling in prayer and asked her this question. Will you give God a man? Will you give God a human nature? Do you know that that question comes to each and every one of us when we were baptized? God said to us, Will you give me your human nature? He wants to use us too, as he used the human nature that Mary gave him. And Mary promised to give God a human nature. And finally, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Our blessed Lord, and unlike other mothers, now I've often seen mothers here in the audience. And with young babes, when those babes grow just a little older, and it happened to many of you young people, your mother said to you, there's heaven way up there. But the Blessed Mother was the only woman in the world who could look down to heaven, for she held heaven in her arms. She became, therefore, the mother of Jesus. And it was not easy to be his mother. Now, there were many trials that she had. I will not go into those, but I'm going to quickly pass over to the moment when she presented our Lord in the temple. There was an old man there by the name of Simeon. And he had been awaiting the birth of the Messiah. And when the Blessed Mother gave him the babe, there was no generation gap. There never is where there is Christ. And the old man said, Now you can dismiss me, O God. I'm ready to die. I've seen the Messiah. But then he spoke to the Blessed Mother. And he said, A sword will pierce your heart. A sword. There are two Greek words for sword. I've forgotten one of them. The first word that I have forgotten is, is the little sword that is almost a dagger. The other word is romphi. Romphi is one of those large crescent swords. And that is the Greek word that was used. A sword of, like a romphi will pierce your heart. In other words, you will have sorrow. 
Now we come to the marriage feast of Cana. And we're going to find our blessed Lord using a very peculiar expression. Let me picture the scene to you. There's a wedding. The Blessed Mother is already there. Maybe she knew the parties who were to be married, but our Lord was not there. He was beyond the Jordan, gathering together his disciples. The Blessed Mother represented the Old Testament, and here our Lord, the New Testament, is still far off. He comes to this wedding. And when he arrives, the Blessed Mother says to him, they have no wine. Now that was serious in a wine country. First of all, wouldn't you think that anyone who had a wedding would provide ample wine? Why did the wine give out? Because our Blessed Lord brought all of his disciples. They liked wine even in those days. And it was the Blessed Mother who was the first to notice there was no wine. She always notices our needs before we do. And she said to her son, they have no wine. Now notice the words of our Lord to her. Woman, not mother. Woman. Woman, what is that to me? Now, in the original of the gospel, in the Greek, the words are, what to me to thee? That's all it is in the original. Woman, what to me to thee? My hour has not yet come. Whenever you find the word hour in the gospel of John, it always means the passion, death, suffering of our blessed Lord. So our Lord is really saying to his mother, My dear mother, you want me to declare myself as the Son of God? To reveal myself as the Messiah? Do you realize that the moment I do that, your relationship to me changes? Up until now, you have been my mother. But when I begin my public life, work my first miracle, you will no longer be just my mother. You will be the mother of everyone that I will redeem. You're involved in this. What happens to me is going to happen to you. And therefore, I address you not as mother. I address you as the universal mother of all who will be redeemed by me on the cross. And therefore, I call you woman. That was the meaning of Cana. With that, we pass to the cross. Our blessed Lord is unfurled on that cross like a wounded eagle. It was the last pulpit of his life. From that pulpit, see the guilt raised against the sun, soon to hide its face in shame. And he caught glimpses of figure on the wall, figures on the walls of Jerusalem. And nearby, 
soldiers shake for his garments. And there at the foot of the cross was that broken flower, that wounded thing, Magdalene, forgiven because she loved much. And there with a face like a cast molded out of love was John. And there, God pity her, his own mother. Mary Magdalene John. Innocence, penitence, and priesthood, the types of souls ever to be found beneath the cross of Christ. Our Lord now is prepared to talk again to his mother. No. Do you know what is happening now on the cross? It's a wedding. You've never heard that before? All of the scriptures is based upon the idea of a wedding. God, for example, says to Israel, I am your husband, you are my spouse. Now we leave the Blessed Mother as a dream, we leave her as a mother, and we're meeting the Blessed Mother as a bride. Yes. Who is on the cross? The new Adam. Who's beneath the cross? Mary, the new Eve. What's going to happen? Nuptials. The consummation of a marriage. So the blessed Lord looks down to his mother at the foot of the cross and says to the spouse, woman, and then to John, there's your son. And to John, the son of Zebedee, there's your mother. This idea of marriage and nuptials which is carried over into the New Testament, is now initiated in the New Testament on the cross. As St. Augustine put it, the heavenly bridegroom comes from out his chambers with the presage of the nuptials before him. He comes to the marriage bed of the cross and there consummates his marriage not on with pleasure but with pain and unites himself to the woman forever. In other words, the Blessed Mother stands for the beginning of the church. Our Lord is the head of the church. He's the spouse, she's the bride. And there's already the beginning of the church, beginning of a family, it's John. Then at Pentecost, what do you find? You find how the family has grown. There are 120 there at Pentecost. And the Blessed Mother and the Apostles in the midst of them all. So that you married people, when you came to the altar, you were told. The bridegroom was told, you stand for Christ. And the bride was told, you stand for the church.
So what we're happening, what is we see here, therefore, is the beginning of the church in which Christ now is the head of the church, the heavenly bridegroom. The Blessed Mother is the beginning of the church, the new Eve. And as many children came from Eve, so many children now are coming from Mary. And this is the reason why women cannot be priests. Because it is man who gives the seed. The woman says, I mean, our blessed Lord says, the word is the seed. For example, I am giving you the word now. I'm giving you the word that is the seed of life. That was what Christ was doing. And who was the Blessed Mother? The Blessed Mother receives the seed. The woman receives the seed, nourishes it, fosters it, brings it to life, educates it, loves it. There is no question here of inferiority or superiority. Let's get it straight. It's a differentiation of function. Man provides the seed, the woman receives it. And this originated at the cross. And never, never call the church an establishment. It's the body of Christ. It's his bride. When we get to heaven, what, what, where are we going to be? We're going to be at a marriage. The nuptials of the bridegroom and the bride. And we even have in the book of Revelation the description of how the bride or the church is dressed in the linen of the prayers of the saints. Then there's the description of the way the heavenly bridegroom Christ is dressed. We will all be participants in this heavenly marriage. Going back then over the life of the Blessed Mother, she is first a dream. She is secondly the mother of our Lord. Can you imagine the divine child at her feet? G.K. Chesterton has a few lines of poetry, if I can recall them. He said, risen from play at her pale raiment's hem, eternity grown adventurous with all time's repose, up her tall body climbed as an ivory tower, and kissed upon her lips a mystic rose. She was a dream. She's a mother. She's the spouse, the symbol of the church. This is the mystery we have to dwell upon in these days, for as we discontinue our devotion to the Blessed Mother, there is always a decline in the love of the church. 
A professor at the University of California in one of his books says, Today, whenever you hear a good word spoken about Our Lady, you can be sure he's a Protestant. Because they're writing about Our Lady. We're dropping Our Lady, and they're picking up Our Lady. For example, an English Methodist minister has written one of the most beautiful meditations on the 15 mysteries of the rosary that has ever been done. It's called Ten for Joy, Five for Sorrow. The Protestant monastery of Taizé in France has written beautifully about Our Lady. Now that you know who she is as a dream, and all of you girls should pray to be like the Blessed Mother, good and virtuous, so that you'll represent the church. Come up here, you. That little one there. Yes, come up. Come on up here. This is a little symbol of the Blessed Mother's a little girl, isn't it? Yes. And keep, keep as sweet as you are. What is it? Isn't there a song? Stay as sweet as you are, nice as you are always. God love you. Go back now. And as a dream, as a mother, and as a spouse. So you young girls... Seek to be like her. And boys, to be pure, be devoted to her. She will keep you intact and good. Keep a statue of Our Lady in your home. Say the rosary to her every day. Every day. I was once instructing... Buffy Cobb's wife. Maybe some of you remember Buffy Cobb, the great humorist. Well, I instructed his daughter and his wife. Buffy Cobb had died an atheist. And she came to me a week after I had finished instruction, and she held up a rosary, and she said, I know what to do with all of this, but what do you do with the tail? <laughs> so I had to tell her, you start with the tail. <laughs> Say your rosary, keep an image or statue in your home and if you are advanced enough say some of the office of Our Lady if you want someone converted pray to her once when I was at Lourdes I was just finishing my visit and I went down to say goodbye to her it was about 8.30 at night because the train for Paris left at 9. And my last prayer was, Blessed Mother, send me some suffering or trial to save a soul. Now that's a very dangerous prayer. If you think prayers are not answered, try that sometime. <laughs> but don't be light about it. It's very serious business. So I said, send me some trial or trouble to save a soul. So I ran back to my hotel, climbed up the first flight of stairs, somebody was following me. Second flight, somebody following me. Third flight, someone running up the stairs behind me, ran down the corridor, someone behind me. As I put the key in the door, there was a girl about 23, 24. 
I said, are you following me? She said, yes. I said, why? She said, I don't know. I saw you this afternoon in procession, and I just decided I wanted to talk to you. I said, are you here on pilgrimage? No. She said, I'm an atheist. Oh, I said, you're not an atheist. You probably have fallen away from the church. Well, she said, I came down with a group of atheists. There were 60 of us. We hired a bus in Holland. I said, where are they? Well, she said, they took a trip in the Pyrenees, Pyrenees today, and I just stayed behind. Incidentally, the bus fell off a bridge and they were all killed. But we didn't know that until later on. And I said, I think you're my trouble. I'm not going to Paris. I'm going to stay here until I return you again to the good Lord. Well, I stayed about three or four days, and finally she received the sacraments. Then my trouble started. It's a long distance from Lourdes to Paris. I would buy a railway ticket. They would put me off the train. Said it was no good. They would put me off at a station where there wasn't any food, there wasn't any water. It took me a week to get to Paris. I don't know how to explain it, why tickets were not good. I'd buy them at the railway station, get on the train, no good. Put off the train. Well, that was the price I had to pay for her soul. And then another incident that involves Lourdes. Just at the turn of this century, and was married in Paris, just an ordinarily good Catholic girl and a, an atheist doctor, Dr. Felix Lasseur. He attempted to break down the faith of his wife, and she reacted and began studying her faith. And in 1905, she was taken ill, tossed on a bed of constant pain until 1914. August. When she was dying, she said to her husband, Felix, when I am dead, you will become a Catholic and a Dominican priest. Elizabeth, you know my sentiments. I've sworn hatred of God. I shall live in that hatred and I shall die in it. She repeated her words and passed away. Rummaging through her papers, he found her will. She said, in 1905, I asked Almighty God to send me sufficient sufferings to purchase your soul. On the day that I die, the price will have been paid. Greater love than this no woman hath, that she lay down her life for her husband. He dismissed it as the fancies of a pious woman, and decided to write a book against Lourdes. And he went down to Lourdes to write against Our Lady, but as he was looking up into the statue, he received the gift of faith. So total, so complete was it, that he never had to go through the process of juxtaposition and say, well, how will I answer this difficulty, or how will I answer that difficulty? He saw it all in its utter error and stupidity. Well, the then reigning pontiff was Benedict XV, and then came World War I. Hearing of the conversion of Dr. Lasserre, Benedict XV sent for, for 
Dr. Lesser. He went in company with Father Jean Vier, the orator of Notre Dame. Dr. Lesser recounted his conversion and said he wanted to become a Dominican. Holy Father said, no, I forbid you. You must remain in the world and repair the harm which you have done. Then he talked to Father Jean Vier, and turning back again to Dr. Lesser, he said, I revoke my decision. Whatever Father Jean Vier tells you to do, you may do. Lent, 1924. I made my retreat in the, retreat in the Dominican monastery of Caen in Belgium, where four times each day and 45 minutes each time, I made my retreat under Father Lesser, Catholic, Dominican, and priest, who told me this story. So the Blessed Mother makes converts, she pays hotel bills, <laughs> she converts atheists. And how this story ever got to earth, I have no idea. But it seems that one day, our Blessed Lord was walking around the golden gates of heaven, streets of heaven, and he saw some souls that got into heaven very easily. And he went to Peter. He said, Peter, I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You are to exercise that power wisely and judiciously. Tell me, Peter, how do these souls gain entry into my kingdom? Peter said, don't blame me, Lord. Every time I close a door, your mother opens a window. <laughs> so remember, there's always the open window for us. And we are her children, and with this I conclude, as, and as her children we say, lovely lady dressed in blue, teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy. Tell me what to say. Did you lift him up sometimes, gently on your knee? Did you sing to him the way mother does to me? Did you ever try telling him stories of the world? And oh, did he cry? Do you think he cares if I tell him things? Just little things that happen? And do angels' wings make a noise? Can you hear me if I speak low? Does he understand me now? Tell me, for you know. Lovely lady dressed in blue, teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy, and you know the way. May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain upon you forever and ever. Bye and God love you.